0: after that we'll I'll invite us to reconfigure the hall we'll have a break we'll come back and we'll hear some of your voices and then we'll close with a dedication and blessing that's how our morning looks monsieur
1: So I'm um, I'm relishing uh, in the afterglow of last night and sitting with you. Um, i happy to confess some attachment to you. <laughs> <laughs> I um, have a familiar sort of avuncular uh, impulses of Explain that again. Avuncular, uncle, uncle like.
0: (laughs) My English vocabulary uh, increases when I teach with.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you'll recognize the impulse despite the funny word. Um, It's kind of a (coughs) a wish to make you Dharma sandwiches, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. so let me just also begin by acknowledging uh, my privilege here, sitting up on these days and speaking with you about what is essentially part of how the path looks like to me. And um, while I tr- trust the intention is generally good, I know. Uh, intention is no, not the only factor, so um, I just want to acknowledge that what I say may not be what sits well with you. It may, uh, despite good intentions, not reflect how things look for you, uh, for from where you are, and if that is hurtful or if that doesn't land well, then I uh, I feel sorry for this. I'm conscious that I'm a visitor and guest in this country, so I'm struggling with a number of perceptions um, and your acronyms here, and your passion for acronyms in this country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm also conscious that you know there's such a thing as social location and uh, personal history, and uh, um, my demographic place comes, uh, you know where much of my formation has happened. <laughs> And conditioning is uh, is not uh, necessarily comparable in many details yeah so um, I also se- I also sense that uh, yeah it's easy to put one's foot in so if I have put my foot in and uh, hurt you in ways that uh, are sitting bad with you or did you have been impacted by please um, uh, I want to say sorry it is uh, one of the beautiful uh, pieces of monastic convention that when one takes leave that one goes to one's uh, teachers that one goes to one's um, students and apologizes to them so one says you know Despite my good intentions, blah, 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 you know, whatever I have done in word, deed, or thought that has been hurtful, please uh, let me go now. <laughs> 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 Don't hold this against me. So uh, I think it's important we do this. You know, I think there is a mutuality in this. But from a teacher's point of view, since we have a lot more airtime, and it looks like what we have to say. Is kind of weighed more because we're sitting on a daze here, uh, it seems particularly important to acknowledge that there is power, there may be pain, and there may be unawareness. Yeah, And uh, since I think none of us claims to be finished on this path, uh, we, uh, we are probably in need of your generosity on that, on that front. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me to say this. Despite my sandwich impulse, I uh, I want to say very little. There's something post-pandemic uh, that seems even more important. We need to crawl out of our woodwork. We need to start hugging people again and stop looking upon each other as sources of viral infections um, there's something that needs to be affirmed um, like many of you i have felt the impact of this pandemic both the kind of have been very privileged and things have worked out well for me in some ways but i notice in the many areas i work and touch i see very similar strains you know isolation greater likelihood of misunderstandings, a slight warp, that the own perceptual world somehow seems to be more asserting itself, that the shared part of humanity seems to be more difficult. There are things that just don't work over Zoom sessions. A hundred warm bodies in a room somehow does something different than a however democratically organized Zoom session with a hundred little images on screen. While I'm grateful for all this, I'm also grateful for you making the effort coming here and putting yourself in this situation. We are talking to each other in so many more ways than just with words and gestures. There's so much that resonates at a deep, deep level if we kind of see and smell and perceive each other and move through each other's fields of perception. So, it is no surprise to me that the Buddha uh, extols the virtue of relationship. You know, on one hand, he's the guy who said, sit all alone under your tree, don't talk to others, meditate, close your eyes, You know. Uh, don't hang out with others. But that's actually only if you don't turn the page. If you turn the page, he says, you know, after you've been sitting alone under your tree, you go and talk to others about what you've actually experienced. You try to make sense of what has happened to you, you try to make sense of what's happening to them, and thereby you learn. Yeah. So the more I look at the Buddhist teaching, and it's less obvious in the in the discourses and more obvious in the monastic discipline, just how relational this man was. Running around forty five years trying to help people to live together extricating them from their sort of family of provenance and from their castes and their particular clans and typical social spheres um, mixing them up according to other principles and then instilling on them the value of looking after each other yeah the value of friendship the core value of friendship so there is this powerful nucleus of Sangha, which begins with what Buddhist teaching calls Kalyanamitata, noble or admirable friendship. And um, we need to affirm this. If we want to grow, we need to affirm this. So what are the qualities of a noble friend? Let me be very specific. Um, Seven are enumerated.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So the first one is a um, noble friend is somebody who inspires my love. Yeah. A noble friend is someone who inspires my respect. A noble friend is someone who inspires my wish to emulate their qualities footnote here, admiring is really important. There is so much said in favor of admiration. If you meet qualities, and you can admire these qualities, you can admire these qualities only with that part in you that is already resembling to some extent these qualities. If you meet those same qualities, obviously admiring This in others will strengthen that part in you. In other words, you begin to grow into this, what you admire. If you meet those same qualities and you are envious, then something very different happens. Although the good qualities of the other may still have an impact on you, but you being envious of them corroborates your self-construct. You make a negative judgment about yourself in terms of deficiency. What is it? A universal goodness that the other manifests and to which you actually have access, by being envious, means you make a statement about yourself in terms of deficiency. Yeah? So you end up missing out on the goodness and you end up compacting your self-view. Yeah? That's the difference between envy and admiration. Yeah? Or One flavor of admiration is called mudita, yeah, sympathetic joy. So, a good friend, somebody who inspires love, respect, and your wish to emulate his or her qualities. A good friend is someone who is capable of listening, deep listening. A good friend is uh, someone who is willing to give you Counsel and advice. Yeah. The sequence seems important. First listening and then possibly the advice. Some people are quite willing to give you advice advice be, to and skip the listening part. <laughs> Maybe some care is needed there. A good friend is someone who is willing and available to engage in deep subjects. Yeah. Subjects that may not have a clean or straight answer, that may be difficult to hold, that may not be black and white. So a good friend is someone who who is willing to go with you to such places where you meet dilemmas, where you meet tension, where you meet ambiguity. We all meet ambiguity in our lives, and we all have uh, polarities to hold. A good friend, finally is someone who looks out after you, who takes care that you don't squander your resources, your time, your energy, your attention, your money. You know. So this is a good, good starting list. This may not be the completeness. You don't think this is comprehensive. This is a starting point. So love, respect, emulation. Somebody who is willing to listen, somebody who is willing to help and give counsel, <coughs> somebody who is pl- willing to go to places that are difficult and deep, and somebody who is willing to look out for you. So. Now, if you think, where are my good friends? Why don't I have more good friends? I need more good friends. Uh, yeah, you may think this. And if there aren't anywhere you live, consider moving where there are some. <laughs> yeah? uh, but most of all, think, to whom could I be a good friend? Think of yourself not just as the recipient. Think of yourself as a bestower of such friendship. Yeah? This is a small piece I would want to read to you. I just scrolled it down and hope I can reread it. Um, it's buried in a very little beautiful collection called the Iti the has famously been transmitted to us by a slave girl who overlistened listened the conversation. And she was the one who handed that text in the oral lineage on. Yeah? Um, Practitioners, with regards to external factors, I don't envision any other single condition like friendship with admirable people as doing so much for a somebody in training who has not yet attained the heart's aspiration but remains on intent on unsurpassed safety from bondage. A friend with admirable people abandons what is unskillful and grows in what is skillful. Yeah. I do not envision any other single condition to be as useful like friendship with admirable people. Yeah. Good, thank you.
0: Thank you, Kinchina. Uh Yeah, I have a few closing thoughts for us. Is there a word that's auntie like <laughs> in English? <laughs> I'm not sure that's actually the one I was searching for, but I'm curious. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your practice, for coming together together, and be here these days with our bodies together. Still feels like a healing. I have taught retreats, of course, since the pandemic, but most of my work too is on Zoom, and um, it feels rich. There's a rich, a richness to being together. Thank you for your practice and your noble friendship. Actually of going to deep places, of giving feedback, of looking out for us and each other. In this transition today, take care. Those of you who have done many retreats will know this, but you will be more sensitive emotionally, maybe conceptually, somatically, imaginatively, then when we came. So take care of that today. Drive safely. Um, Take care with how much you listen to and how much you speak, how quickly you check all your messages. We understand the phones have been available since yesterday, but really care. um, As you kind of come back into the world of media, care for this. Are you all right, sweetheart? (laughs) Um, care for this consciousness that has been cultivated. It's rich, it's important. And so since I mentioned the phones there, if you're thinking, when are they going to give the phones back? Um, uh, w- we're not, but but they, the, you can go and get them. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can go and get them. Sometimes we do. I'm, I'm not being facetious. Sometimes we come and have a little ceremony here and do it this way. But we understand some of you have already gone to get them this morning for you needed to for your... Um, transport arrangements. So they're available. Ebony will be there in the front office for you to collect them as soon as you need. Okay. But care for that. Care for how much media and how you engage with that and each other. And expect that, um, you know, the consciousness may feel a little altered for some days. This is a rich ground for insight. It's not that the retreat ends here. It's like now you get to feel with all that gardening the soil turned, we get to sense and see ourselves arise, we get to see the mind arise, we get to see the world arise. There's a lot to see here in these days, in these next 10 days or so before things kind of maybe get a little bit back to normal. An encouragement today, and it can be in the break, it can be um, take five minutes for yourself of what have been the insights that have come to you. Because at the end of a retreat like this, for me, it's as if things are a little clearer or a lot clearer. As if the brambles or tangles, usually in my path and my heart and mind, they're open. The vista has opened. What have I learned? What do I want to bring into being? This is the day to reflect on that. It can be that the brambles may cover over again. We may not be as sensitive or as attuned or as um, resonant with each other and the world. But the insights we have, we can enact them whether or not we feel like that. Metta and acts of kindness are not dependent on us feeling kind. Great if we feel kind. Wonderful. That can be cultivated. But we can act on our insights whether or not that is, I feel as kind as I did on day seven at IMS. Oh, I can't act, I have to wait till I'm kindness. This would be inauthentic. No, act anyway. Act anyway from the intention and action of kindness. Um, I want to acknowledge one sphere of works, one sphere of inner work um, as we go out into the world. And acknowledging for each of you, each of us, in our own location. What you have been given this lifetime to handle, the kinds of emotions, self-perceptions, structural privileges, insults, um, the kinds of sensitivities you have, the kind of unique perspective, gift, richness of inheritance of all who have come before you, both their sensibilities, their particular pains they suffered, their perspectives on the world, their stories of the world. All that you have been given to handle this lifetime and the way that interacts with our world and what we're being asked to see. So. A contemplative practice. Yes, there are, of course, the realms of action and of speech, of course. But one thing that I see more and more as I get older and a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit wiser, as I get older and wiser, is that handling those charges that come, or those dullnesses, or those absences, or numbnesses, or righteousnesses, or collapses, or helplessnesses, or... Has to be like thisnesses. All the charges that I have been asked to handle are to be handled. And our contemplative practice is an incredible place to open the sphere of body, of heart, of mind to be able to contemplate these in ways that lead onward. And they can. They can lead onward in our actions in the world, and simultaneously onward in the ways our stories of what a human being is and what the world can be start to become stories that are richer, robuster for this times, intelligent, in line with ethics and emptiness, kindness and bright gifts of our ancestors. So our stories, this appeal for stories, is not just an intellectual pursuit. It's not like, what would be a good story to have about the world? No, that doesn't get much traction. That doesn't get much root. Oh, how can I find a good story? Fine. But really, stories are not things that come from the top down only. Stories come from the ground up. And the way I am stitched together, the way my particular location has a particular slant on things that may be stuck in an old story, and many are. And one of the things that I have been, feel really has opened my capacity for story, for seeing my, the way that I have been sewn together for better and for worse, where those stories have gotten loosened And there's more capacity to resonate with the others. Not just because I think that's a good idea, but because my stitching has started to loosen. And as my stitching loosens of my insistence on this or that, my ground becomes deeper and wider and includes more and more of us. So two arenas, I can say, and you'll have your own. But one is for me to handle these, to look to these dilemmas. And one dilemma, when I consider myself and my privilege in this era, is, is many. But one is as a, as a member of the global north, of a rich country. And, and, I, and I'm not poor, I'm not wealthy by any means, but I'm not poor in that global north. And as such, my lifestyle, my lifestyle, and my choice—for example, to come here and fly—I'm, of course, this is directly implicated in the story of the whole globe, and those who are displaced already through climate change, those who are um, whose islands have already flooded. These are linked, these are linked. Now to hold that, to take that as a contemplation, is a dilemma. And handling these dilemmas of our times is part of what will make us richer. And I don't mean financially richer, but will make us better stories. Because I have to loosen some of my privilege. My, my I'll I just sort of express my grapple with this dilemma of "Shall I fly to IMS?" Again? Logic says, "Well, one person not flying is not going to make any difference, of course. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's good to Dharma's good. Dharma is something worth flying for. OK. Thank you. Well, what happens if I sense? And I have, of course, so I'm not standing in any righteous position here at all. What happens if I resonate with those who I just contemplate for a moment? Yes, who don't fly, for example, and flying is just one example. But I'm thinking more of this 700,000 people displaced now in this decade just from one great continent of Africa. Can I bear with, ah, what do I do about that? Ah, it's too big for me. Bear with the cries of the, ah, but I can't do it. And it's true. We can't do it on our own but can I bear with the cries that come forth? Plant my roots in Dhamma and in Sangha. Open the chitta. Loosen some of the stitching, the justification, the logic. Handle the dilemmas of my times. And as I do, I get a little bit more humble. As I do, I may decide right now, yeah, this year I will come. I don't know when that will end or if anything will replace that to make that possible. But I sit with you in these kinds of contemplations and whatever are our equivalents. Similarly for me, the the huge benefits that I would like to pay homage to that's Some have come from this nation with all your particular strife and struggles and pains. Not that we don't have them, we have many similar ones, many similar ones, with many similar effects, but stitched together slightly differently. And from this country I have been given the ways of looking to examine deeply my social location, of being a white woman, educated, cisgender, heterosexual. And in some of the trainings I've received, so intelligent and rooted in the body then, I get to work the way I'm stitched together that's like, oh yeah, but, 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 but. Oh, yeah, 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 but but I'm good, really. And if you're you're saying that, does that mean I'm bad? No. No. Let us not impose, those of us who are asked to do this work, let's not impose that burden. So are you saying I'm bad? No. 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 Loosen the insistence. And as I loosen insistence, I meet the Dhamma. As I loosen insistence, there may be tears, there may be wobbliness, there may be regret, there may be sorrow, there may be pain, there may be the need to bow. But as I loosen insistence, it is not only for the other's benefit, as one I think Aboriginal indigenous woman said, don't come, don't come here because you think you're serving me. Come here when you know that you doing this work serves your awakening as much as mine. Yes. As I loosen my insistence, my liberation, your liberation, our attention to the world and the conditions that are asked of us in this era, become a story that can be ennobling, beautiful. It may not always be easy. There may be incredible challenges personally, collectively. There already are for many. But look, it's a story of doing this together, that our pilgrimage as a soul, our pilgrimage for awakening is intricately tied with how we sit in our communities. And this, this is a beautiful story. This is a story I'll wake up for. This is a story that I'll bow to those who can teach me to look deeper in those ways. This is a story that, yes, makes me tender, makes me less sure of my defenses and my strategies and my insistences, but as I soften with the body, go past and through the emotion, feel the legs jiggle, then I have a body to meet you. Then I have more of a body to sit with your bodies and our bodies, and then our bodies from the ground up can find our stories through our heart and our bright minds. Let us sit deeply into our bodies, more deeply than we knew because we have to, (laughs) because it brings sanity and because it brings richness and beauty. And in our humility, it brings grace and majesty. So let's meet here.
2: I have a friend in England, I don't know her so well, but uh, I remember her once talking about a teacher, she said, when we practiced with this teacher, they would say to us, so if you're sitting there and someone asked about sort of saliva building, I said, you can just let it dribble, and she said eventually, he said to us, you know, when you need to pee, just let it rip. I haven't got to that level of practice yet.
0: <laughs> and I'm not
2: suggesting it as an attainment we should strive for, but uh, it's interesting at a point where we see, and for me, I would really wish to be here and hear what was said, and my body told me at a certain point that uh, that wasn't going to happen, or either that I was going <laughs> to try a new practice. <clears throat> and there's a kind of a humility where we bow to the limitations of our bodies. And I'm, in most respects, a fortunately very healthy human being. And we all have our own version of the challenges of where our limitations may show themselves. I think at the heart of what practice offers is this capacity to see what's needed, what's useful, what's possible. And a lot of what we've done here is offered you, invited you to explore ways of engaging with your experience to see what's possible, what's useful, what might we wish to develop and cultivate. And that doesn't end here in simple terms, what we've been doing here. In one sense, of course, we can't keep doing it exactly like this. And so the experience we have here and the experience we may have in our lives will probably be somewhat different, unless in our lives we're doing pretty much what we did here. So if we go home and we spend most of the day sitting and walking quietly, someone provides us meals, (laughs) we'll probably have a pretty similar experience. (laughs) But if that's not what's the case, and it might be for some of you, But if that's not what the case is, the experience will be different. But to come to it with this intention still, to gather, to collect, to open, and to be curious and interested to see what's possible here. That doesn't need to change as we go forward. And to really have a sense that our life is the field in which our practice takes place. That it's not something I did for nine days and now I'll kind of just try and (laughs) ride whatever juice I extracted from it for the next while until I go on retreat. What we've also noticed and uh, as the Kenshinos sort of spoke to in terms of being a good friend, how much we benefit from contact with others. And I'm so heartened and delighted to see the contact and the reaching out and the sharing and connecting expressed on the notice board from both the offering of rides and asking for rides and the creating of, there's the online sangha from when we did this retreat online two years ago in the midst of COVID. It's still going. How wonderful! I am so happy to hear that and really invite and encourage you to join in if you would wish, and seek that. We all need support. And likewise, the email of stay in contactless. Someone takes the initiative and does that. How wonderful. We so need this. And some other group of practitioners who have a place where they live and practice, say, hey, come along and see what we do here. How lovely. How wonderful. <coughs> that sense of bringing ourselves to and into contact with that which can nourish, that which can sustain, that which can uplift us. Both in terms of human circumstances, other people, situations, but equally, what is it that nourishes us? What is it that supports us? We need this. We need to seek it out. We need to make, it seems to me, a priority of bringing ourselves into contact with what nourishes and uplifts us. Because we will inevitably, and can't help but equally have contact with that which challenges us, both in terms of our internal inner experiences and our shared social, collective, community experience and in the the larger realm of the world as we pay attention. It's like to notice it's so important to open our attention to bear witness, to bear witness to what is distressing and of concern, and equally to bear witness to what is beautiful, to what is blessed. Just in a small way, I was I was teaching a day retreat in London, um, I guess about six weeks ago, and at lunchtime I went outside, and just opposite the sort of community center where this retreat had been organized for the day, there was someone with a bicycle that had a workshop built on it, that was providing free bicycle repair to anyone who turned up with a bike in need of repair. And it was just a small thing, but it so touched me. It was actually funded by the local authority, the council. They were providing... And this bicycle moved around the community, and there was a website we could look up and where you could find this bicycle at any time. in basically, you know, the working week. Turn up with your bike for no charge, assuming the... Required parts were there that he had, and I was just struck not just by how I am a cyclist and that sort of thing, you know, speaks me, but just the sense of how uplifting it was to see that, and how it's easy for us at times to see the places where, because I was just reading an article today about how can people be expected to ride bikes if they expect them mostly to get stolen in urban places in the UK. Leave a bike outside, even if you lock it, a good chance will be taken. And if one focuses on that, it's like, oh, how tragic. To equally see where there is beauty, where there is something of generosity, is so helpful, it seems to me, and so necessary to make as a practice, to bear witness equally, as Catherine was saying, to the Areas of deep concern we might see and encounter in the world. And our sustaining our formal practice of taking time to sit, to walk, to stand, to contemplate. In the context of retreat and in the context of our day-to-day life, so far as we can. It's so helpful, so supportive for our inner development and well-being. But equally for our ability to meet and respond to the world which it seems to me is as much a part of our practice as the inner oriented. Because in our practice we see as we go more and more deeply into it, this that we call inner and this that we call the world cannot be separated from each other, arise together and are transformed together. And some of that transformation is inner work and so important. And some of that transformation is outer work. Just as we've acknowledged the support for our, what we could call, inner practice of being with each other, of practicing together, of noble friendship, so too we need to come together, it seems to me, to share what it is that we care about, to share what we're grateful for, to share what it is that we wish for our world, our communities. The communities of others. And see what can I do? How can I contribute? In what way may I make a difference here? I mentioned last night my grandmother. I was telling some folk at breakfast how I feel a bit like a a parent of a young baby. I've, I'm not a parent, so... I don't know but that says if one to show people pictures and tell she's amazing, look, she's incredible, she's so bright, she's reading these big books and you know, she's interested in what's happening in the world. And one of the things about my grandmother is she was an activist as well as a spiritual practitioner. She was with the movement with Gandhi in, in India in the time of engaging with and ultimately overthrowing the, the British colonial imperial government and establishing independence for that nation of hundreds and hundreds of millions of people who had been subjugated up until that time. And somehow I, I feel a real resonance with that that willingness as the people at that time to, to make sacrifices, to take risks for what we most care about and value. And Catherine spoke about uh, you know the decision to come. For myself, there's a a question mark that hangs over it for the last few years, not of my own decision, but because of my circumstance. And We each have our own paths and ways to follow, but I I realized I felt I wanted to acknowledge and say, which some of you will know, that uh, for my own path I've felt called and moved to engage at times in peaceful, non-violent civil disobedience and uh, challenging the Structures and mechanisms of denial and of oppression in that way. And that has involved an encounter with the, the police, the, the cells, the courts, and uh, it's not entirely sure where that will eventually go for me in terms of my ability to come here. And I also, in a few weeks, will be in a trial for a couple of weeks, a jury trial, and uh, the outcome of that is uncertain for what, in my regard, was peaceful action to bring attention to a circumstance of deep concern in terms of climate and ecological crises. And we each have to find our own way to give our lives to what we care about. And we can be giving our lives to the caring for a small child, which may take most of our time and energy. Or the building of something beautiful in our community. Or sharing our spiritual practice with others as a nourishing, as an enriching, as a, as a, a shared ripening. You know when you put a, a banana in with an avocado, the avocado ripens because something the banana gives off. It's like we like that for each other we ripen together and I'm not suggesting you have to have the banana with the avocado together, you know, on toast or something I've never tried that combination but in the fruit bowl it's like, oh, and then they each have their own way they go find ways to make contact with others that care. Because this world, it is my belief and my trust that this world is actually full of people who care deeply. We don't always know how to express the care. We don't always trust that there's a meaningful way that we can make a difference. But it is my belief. And it's, in a way, what I've endeavored to offer my life to is the the trust that this is something we can do. And that there is no way it's supposed to look for any one of us, other than what is true for ourselves. So how it looks for me, or for someone else, may be nothing like what it might look for you. How it looks for me now is different than how it looked for me ten years ago, five years ago, two years ago. And what it looks like for me in a year's time may again be different. But together I believe we can make a difference I believe we do make a difference there are no guarantees as to outcomes it's scary to step out of our comfort zone but it's kind of scary also to stay within it so we can't make our choices based on whether it's scary or not It's that simple. It's like, okay, so the parts of me that are scared, I need to hold them with kindness. And and part of me is scared about being on trial and subject to potential incarceration. And part of me is like, okay, but I'm in a situation where I took that on voluntarily, and it's okay, because my life can handle that, and my world can handle that. And I would really hope it doesn't happen that way. But it's in the realm of what's possible. And that sense of being able to hold our vulnerability as our support for holding also the vulnerability of the world, of which we are a part, and the vulnerability of those who perhaps have much less to hold theirs. In so many ways, in realms of social justice, in realms of climate and ecological justice, that sense of offering ourselves to this world. Offering this ourselves in a sense to our own life. This is something that <coughs> it feels for me has its own wholeness. It doesn't have to produce a particular result because results are never guaranteed. But there's a sense of an alignment that comes when one's Listen carefully to one 's heart one 's acknowledged one 's circumstances' limitations, and not somehow overridden that, but nonetheless seen, okay, this is what I would like to offer here, and found a way to do that, and with others, almost always it needs us to do this with others so my my invitation, my encouragement to you is to practice together, to reach out, to sign onto the list, to ask the questions there you might have about, so how do you meditate at home if you've never done that before? And someone would have done it before, they'll have something to say. Or, how can I get together and talk about what I'd like to make a difference in the world? Is there anyone else who's concerned about this? Can we get together? Reach out, connect. In that reaching out and connection. I believe we are profoundly powerful. And that the inner alignment equally as the outer effect or impact of our lives is worthy of caring for deeply in that way. So, because others probably have the same pressure that I had to uh, bow to earlier, I should stop there. And, uh, yeah, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Yanai. Um, We will have a break now, but just before you go, um, we're going to configure the hall differently. So those of you who who aren't desperate uh, to to use the loo, if we stay and we're going to configure the hall in a kind of um, American football shape, like that, and if you're in chairs, they can go around the edges of that. So there's a kind of hole in the middle, does that make sense? And we clump around like that. So before you go, um, we can just start moving the cushions that way. And we'll meet back at half past. And if a bell, could we have a bell ringer in five minutes to bring us back, please? Uh, Aviva, thank you. Just in the local area. And let's keep it silent out there so that we can stay uh, on, on track with our schedule.